working our way through um, our statement of faith. And if you don't have a statement of faith, you can get them at the welcome desk on the way in. Um, and we're working our way through it. And we are looking th- uh, at the moment, we've just started a mini-series within it about the Holy Spirit. And if you didn't, or you weren't here last week or whatever, I'd urge you, please go and listen to Roger's excellent talk on who is the Holy Spirit and uh, everything he had to say. We want you to really get the grip of um, who the Holy Spirit is and what his impact is on our lives today as believers. I just want to offer you a couple of titles that have really helped me over the years. Uh, a new book, which um, you, I don't know if you can see that, but it's by Mike Pilavati and Andy Croft. We have copies in the office if you want to borrow one or buy one. Uh, but this is a really excellent book by Mike Pilavati and Andy Croft called Everyday Supernatural. And it's about grabbing hold of the promise of the Holy Spirit and bring it into our daily lives. Okay? It is an excellent book. Go and get it. Another book which I've found recently really helpful is by Simon Holly, who um, leads the King's Church Arms in King's Arms, sorry, in Bedford, which is a huge church. Um, lots of things going on there which are fantastic, but called Sustainable Power. Again, how do we live our daily lives by the power of the Spirit in a way which is normal but supernatural at the same time? Okay? We're not going for the way out thing. We're, we are normal people living our lives doing normal things, but with supernatural help. Okay? That's, so two books there. If you don't get anything else from this morning, go and buy those two books. That's fine. So I just want to take just a couple of minutes to talk about how did we get to where we are, because it's quite important. Okay, church history tells us that actually for a good chunk of probably 1,500 years, the person of the Holy Spirit was referenced but not embraced. Okay? And first of all, Jesus, as we know, promises to his disciples that when he ascends into heaven, he will send a helper, an advocate, his Holy Spirit, to be with us, one who was like Jesus. That's the kind of, that's our starting base 2,000 years ago. We know that in Acts chapter 1 and 2, we get the disciples in an upper room waiting for something to happen. Jesus says, when I ascend, that's where he talks about, I'm going to ascend the Father, I'm going to ascend, etc. But in Acts chapter 2, suddenly, from nowhere, like the sound of a mighty rushy wind, with tongues of fire, the Holy Spirit is poured out on these disciples in an amazing way. And you can read about it in Acts chapter 2. And then we've got the whole of the book of the Acts of Apostles, which is, in my opinion, not rightly named. It should be the Acts of the Holy Spirit, because the disciples just did what the Holy Spirit told them to do. And you can find stories upon stories upon stories where the disciples uh, are empowered to heal people, to um, all sorts of things that were going on. It's worth reading, as we're going through this series, it's just worth reading the Acts of the Apostles alongside what we're teaching so you get a grasp of what everyday, normal, supernatural life looks like. Which of you, this morning, we're on the way to church and a, and a beggar says, could I have some money, please? A beggar on the, on the floor, can't walk, and you're going to church, and 
He says, can I have some money, please? And the disciples say, well, we haven't got any money, but what I've got is, I'll just pray for you. In the name of Jesus, rise up and walk. Let's go to church. It's normal, actual life. Post-70 AD, where the, where the church is spread abroad through persecution, we are bombarded by historians of the time telling us stories of how the disciples were working, living, moving in the power of the Spirit. These are people who might have known Jesus, but might be the first generation. They've moved on a little bit, but they're still living in the power of the Spirit. I want to talk to you about one person in particular who I admire greatly, who's a northern man. His name is Bede. He's from Northumberland, or he was from Northumberland. He's an interesting character, and I want to introduce you to this book. Um, it's in a series called Chris, um, Christian Thinkers, Great Christian Thinkers. It's written by a Catholic lady, and it's an amazing story. Bede lived in Northumberland, and he was a priest, and he wandered round the villagers, ministering to the poor in his, in his area. He talks about, he goes into a village, and this woman is dying, and he prays for her, and she gets up and goes out to work. It's amazing. He talks about, he goes to another village, and a man's just died, and he prays for him, and he comes alive again and gets on with his life. He talks about looking at the skies and the nature around him and bringing prophetic words of what God's going to do. This man, about 500 AD, 500, amazing man who was walking and living empowered by the Holy Spirit in a theology that I would not recognize, but knowing that God was with him and he was living in the power of the Spirit. We must not, we must not um, dismiss what God's done because we don't understand it. Okay? And then there's a lot of the teaching of the Holy Spirit as the church became much more administrative and political and powerful and moved into a, a very different form of life. And the, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit was kind of lost in all that and disappeared. And then in the 18th and 19th century, I have to say, just, just to say, that all the way through that, there are shining lights of examples of people who are moving by the power of the Spirit. Okay? Just like in the Old Testament, there's examples. You can look at them and find them. But in the 18th, 19th century, a new teaching started to emerge, which was that actually, yes, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity, but it was no longer for us because it was, he was poured out in the pages of the New Testament, and we no longer require it, because actually that was the foundation of the church, but now we're the church, we actually don't need it anymore, this teaching, uh, called dispensationalism. It was for then, but it's not for now. And that took a really big, powerful hold of the church um, in what was going on. Another helpful book here, if, you're in, if you've been in that teaching at all, here's a great book for you to read. It's called Surprised by the Power of the Spirit by Jack Deere, who came from that background and encountered, he went to a John Wimber conference and encountered the power of the Spirit and suddenly started to, 
look through the pages of the New Testament to find out where it says it is all finished then. And he couldn't find it. It was for now. Please do not hear me dismissing people. I'm not trying to do that. I'm just trying to give us a history of where we got to. And then, in the late 19th century, we had the birth of Pentecostalism through Azusa Street in America. And people like D.L. Moody and others who suddenly discovered the Acts chapter 2 experience and said, why is it not for us now? And started praying for it and suddenly found that actually being baptized in the Spirit was an amazing experience that they could enjoy. And it spread into the UK. And so you get the Jeffrey brothers and people like Smith Bigglesworth and others in the late 19th, early 20th centuries suddenly discovering the power of the Holy Spirit. That's my background. I, I was born in a Pentecostal church. My parents knew some of the people that are involved in some of the things. My grand, I remember uh, sitting with my grandfather and telling me stories. He would tell me stories about what was happening in the 30s in his church of prophecies, of tongues and interpretation, of healings, and people being delivered from all sorts of things. There's amazing stories. He's dead now. He's been dead a few years, but I used to sit and soak in these stories of what God was doing. If you find an old Christian, sit with them and soak out of them as many stories as you can. It will encourage you. And then in the 70s, with the church that I was brought up in, the Pentecostal church, those stories were history. Okay? And in the emergence of the charismatic movement in the 70s, of which we are now part, people having to leave churches because actually the, the church leader involved would say, we are not having this in our church. This is not for us. And so new churches were started. Churches like ours. Where we were discovering about baptism in the Spirit, spiritual gifts, walking in the Spirit, living in the Spirit, praying in the Spirit, all sorts of things. You, you know, I was around for the Toronto blessing and all that happened then. But unfortunately, as in every movement, familiar, familiarity starts to breed complacency. And you know what? It just became an accepted thing and not necessarily a living reality. And so we must, from time to time, as urgently as we possibly can, resharpen our understanding of why it's important that we are baptized in the Spirit on an ongoing basis. We must do it on a regular basis. Just like we remind ourselves about the cross and the resurrection and the ascension, Because of the ascension, Jesus has sent his Holy Spirit to us and we are recipients of everything that's available to us. Does that mean, slide, next slide please, does that mean, uh, no, I've, can you go down to the one, that's the one. Does that mean I can, can I be a Christian? It's a great question, it's often asked. So does that mean that I have to be baptized in the Spirit to be a Christian? Okay, let's just look at what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1, because this is really important. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. 
In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, so you became a Christian, that's what it says, and you believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. You cannot become a Christian without the power of the Holy Spirit. So can you be a Christian and not be baptized in the Spirit? Yes, because Paul tells us that's true. You have to have the power of the Holy Spirit to become a Christian. And he said, Paul says, you were sealed with the power of the, with the promise of the Holy Spirit. You were sealed. That's it. Done. And he's the guarantee of your inheritance to the praise of his glory. So yes, of course you can. Okay? Let's just put that to bed. I'm not going to be talking about first and second hand Christians, uh, second class Christians. I'm not going to be talking about that sort of thing at all. Yes, you can. And you can enjoy your Christian life as it stands. But, but, this is, if you look at the next slide, we all know what these are. On the right-hand side is a boiler. It's ready. It's got the flame going. I've got one in my house at the moment. It's been turned off because it's the summer. Summer starts in Yorkshire in, in February. <laughs> and ends in January. But when it's on, when it's ready, that little flame is always consistently on. Okay? It's a boiler, and it's an active boiler. The boiler doesn't say to itself, oh, am I a boiler or not a boiler? It is a boiler. And it works because it's got that little blue light in. We know it works. But that little blue light, if I turn my tap on, is not going to heat the water. If I get into the shower with that little blue light, it's going to be very cold. Until I turn the ignition on, and suddenly... Whenever I turn the tap on, there it is, the hot water. And this is, for me, what the difference is, the baptism of the Spirit. It's simply turning on the full power. And that's what I want to talk about this morning. Why do we need it? So you can go back to the previous slide, Samuel, if that's all right. Next one. Sorry, this morning I confused them because I came and I wanted to reorder my slides, so that's my fault. Why do we need it? Well, first of all, Jesus needed it. I'm going to put all the scripture up there. I'm not going to read them out. We haven't got that much time. I want to get into ministry. But please make a note. Go and look them up. Don't just assume because I've put it there. That's what it says. Okay? Jesus needed it. His first act in ministry is to get baptized in water so that the Holy Spirit would come on him. And he demonstrated all the way through the Gospels what it meant to live by the power of the Spirit. Secondly, Jesus is the baptizer of the Spirit. Jesus says he's got a great gift for us. A great gift for us. If, God, if Jesus has a gift for us, why would I not want it? 
why, what would stop me from accepting a gift from Jesus? Third, Jesus is led by the Spirit. Luke 4. As soon as he's baptized, and he's baptized in the Spirit, Luke says he was led by the Spirit. He uses that word. He was led by the Spirit into the desert. I've got some good news for you. When you're baptized in the Spirit, sometimes you get led into desert places. And that's okay. Fifth. I think this is now... Yes, there we go. Well done, Samuel. We've caught up with each other. Fifth. Jesus promised the Holy Spirit to all of us. Acts chapter 1, verse 5. Then we get to Acts chapter 6. Uh, sorry, Acts chapter 2, beg your pardon. I was looking at the next line. Acts chapter 2. We're going to pause for a second because this is a key chapter in understanding why we need to be baptized in the Spirit. But Peter says in Acts chapter 2, verse 32, verse 33, This Jesus God raised up, and we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father of the promise of the Holy Spirit, he's poured this out that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. Jesus has poured it out, Paul, uh, uh, Peter says. And then he goes on to say in verse 37, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter says, Repent. Be baptized, which is about water, in the name of Christ Jesus, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is for you, the ones in front of him, and for your children, the next generation, and for everyone who is afar off. Everyone whom the God our Lord calls to himself. That includes me. And the good news is it includes you too. All right? So just in case you think I'm being exclusive, I'm not. It means for you as well. Peter says it's for now, tomorrow, tomorrow's tomorrow, and tomorrow's tomorrow squared many, many times. It's for everyone who is called by God, believes in him, has repented, been baptized, all the rest of it. It's for everyone. Next, it's a command and it's an expectation. Let's look at Ephesians 5. We're going to, again, pause just for a second. Ephesians 5, uh, verse 18. Don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery. I'm glad that didn't say, don't be full, don't be... Anyway. Don't get drunk with wine. That's debauchery. But be filled with the Spirit, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing, making melody to the Lord with your heart, giving thanks always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul is not saying, well, if you fancy it, and it's a good idea, and it's a nice Sunday morning, and the worship's gone well, why don't you just ask Jesus to fill you with the Spirit? That would be a nice thing to do. No, he says, no, no, no. Don't get drunk, but be filled with the Spirit. 
The text actually says, be being filled. And we're going to come back to that. But here I'm just touching on it's a command. It's not an option. And it's an expectation. Finally, in this little section, as I've just said, it's an ongoing experience. It's not a one-off. I remember when I first got baptized in the Holy Spirit in a Pentecostal church, we had to go through the hoop of what was called a tarrying meeting, where we had to sit and wait, like the disciples did. Okay, and I remember it quite clearly. It was, it was getting more and more emotional as we all sat there. And there was an expectation that um, something was going to happen. And it did. And I can remember it quite clearly, but it's not a one-off experience. Every day, I need to be coming and saying, would you fill me again with your spirit? Because yesterday, when I was filled with the spirit, I kind of messed up. I did things that I shouldn't have done. I said things I shouldn't have said. I thought thoughts that I shouldn't have thought. I didn't always think about the Holy Spirit and Jesus. And I, do you know what? Bit by bit, it just like the tide, like the, when the tide comes into the sand, as the tide goes down, the sand, the water disappears into the sand. It's just like that. And every day I need the tide to come in. Clean me out. Sort me out. Fill me again. Every single day. So why do we need to be baptized in the Spirit? Well, let's look at John and I'm, please don't hear what I'm not saying I'm not trying to be offensive anyway at all, I'm trying to encourage you first of all Jesus says truly, truly I say to you unless one is born of water and the spirit he cannot enter the kingdom of God that which is born of the flesh is flesh that which is born of the spirit is spirit First of all, we need to be baptized in the Spirit to know that we are born of the Spirit and in the family. Second, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3 that the Spirit helps us to become like Jesus. Now I can read the words of Jesus and I can force myself to become more and more like Jesus. I'm going to try to be more good trying to be more joyful. I'm going to try to be less grumpy. Okay? I'm going to try and like people. I'm going to try and be more patient. I'm going to, today, today I'm going to be more humble. And I'm good at it. <laughs> I can do that. And many Christians live their lives by building boundaries around their lives which helps them to become more like Jesus. When the answer is, if I'm filled with the Spirit, He makes me more and more like Jesus anyway. It's a natural consequence of being filled with the Spirit. I just become like Jesus. And it's got nothing to do with me. The apple tree, I use this example so many times, the apple tree doesn't... I've got an apple tree in my garden. In fact, I've got four, and they're in tubs. Last year, I got one apple. 
okay, which Mason wanted to pull. And the fir first year he was with us, he, I had an apple and I'd, I'd looked after it and cared for it. And I went in the garden one day and it had gone. <laughs> and Mason said, I didn't like it anyway. But that apple tree doesn't sit there going, today I'm going to push this branch out. And I've got some leaves. And I've got some blossom. And if King's Church doesn't mow their lawns in May, I'm going to get pollinated. And I'm going to force this apple out. It doesn't happen like that. It's natural. It just produces apples because it's an apple tree. Because I'm a Christian, I produce Jesus. Because I've got the power of spirit in me. It just happens. Now I need you to do that, to help me. I need others to come alongside me and say, did you know when you said that, that didn't sound like Jesus? I need other Christians to tell me when I'm being grumpy. I need a wife to tell me that. She's very good at it. Listen, the Spirit naturally makes us like Jesus. Secondly, as we've already discovered this morning, the Holy Spirit guarantees that you are a child of God. No questions about it. How do we know that? Because in us, it produces, he produces a prayer within us that goes, Daddy! That's what Romans 8 says. He says, the Holy Spirit in us says in us, it produces in us a cry that goes, Daddy, you're my daddy. You're my father. Which makes you my brothers and sisters. Makes Jesus my brother. Because he's a son of God. He's the son of God, to be precise. The Holy Spirit, time and time and time and time again, comes to us and he says to us, You're a heir to the inheritance that is all in Christ. It's yours. We need to know we are the children of God because Jesus said the world's going to hate you just like it hated me. And frankly, I don't want to be hated by anybody, but I do want to be loved by Jesus. Third, remark, interesting scripture in Ephesians 2.18 where we, you know, we, we talk about we have access to the Father through the Son, which is true. It's there in the Bible. But in Ephesians 2.18, Paul says, we have access to the Father through the Spirit. The Spirit gives us access to the Father. When I'm struggling with that ceiling of prayer where it feels like nobody's listening, the Holy Spirit gives us access to the Father. It's there for us. Next, he helps us. The Holy Spirit helps us understand what the Father wants us to do and wants us to think and wants us to be like. I've sometimes found this book incredibly difficult to understand. Okay, If you're in that position, I, understand, I know what you feel like. But the bits that I don't understand don't scare me. The bits that scare me are the bits that I do understand. Okay, but 
when I come to this word and I say, Holy Spirit, would you please help me understand this? Paul says he gives us understanding. He helps us to get our heads around what Jesus is saying. He helps us to get to grips with what the words actually mean. He helps us understand the will of the Father for us. Romans 8, next point. In Romans 8, Paul says, the Spirit helps us to pray. We do not know what to pray. There are many situations in my life where I've wanted God to do something, but I'm not sure it's the right thing. Pray for healing for particular people. Sometimes, what is, what is God actually saying here? I don't know, but Holy Spirit, you do. And the Holy Spirit, it says, Paul says, he, the Holy Spirit prays on our behalf with utterings that we can't understand. When we pray in tongues, we're uttering prayers that we do not understand, but the Holy Spirit is initiating and giving to the Father. And you know what? Strangely enough, God knows more than a little English. And he understands those prayers because he was sent from the Father in the first place. He helps us pray. He helps us to know what to pray. He helps us when we don't understand what to pray. Next, in Romans 8, verse 1 through 5, the Holy Spirit teaches us to do the right things. Paul says in that Romans 8, over that first eight chapters of Romans, one of the verses that I get a lot of comfort from, Paul says, um, I didn't know what sin was before the law. But now the law's come, I do understand what sin is. Okay? Well, I, I get that. If you're a parent, you know that um, if you say to a child, you can't do that, what's the first thing they're going to do? They know what sin is. I know it, and thanks, I, I, did, I understand that. The law, before the law came out, I, I didn't know what sin was, but thanks be to God, the Spirit comes, and I'm no longer living by the law of the law, the words of the law, I'm now living by the law of the Spirit. And he teaches me to do the right thing. How do I know that? Well, when I'm doing the wrong thing, there's a kind of, oops, it feels a bit uncomfortable, a bit guilty, a bit unclean, a bit, I don't want you to know what I'm doing. And the Holy Spirit says in me, mm, mm, really? Is that really what you want to do? Is that, is that a good thing? Is that a wise thing? Do, do you think that I've already told you about this in, in the Word, not to do it? He teaches me how not to sin. He does that through you. He does that through my conscience. He does that through the Word of God. But he teaches me. He teaches me not to sin. And he teaches me to do the right thing. That great passage in Galatians where Paul says about um, you know, the, the fruits of the Spirit are, and he goes into that long list of nine things. But if you look through Paul's letters, every time Paul has a list of things that we should be doing, he talks about a list of things that we should not be doing. And that, strangely enough, strangely enough, the list of things that we shouldn't be doing are mirrored by a list of things we should be doing. 
I'm to stop some of the things, some sinful things I'm doing. I'm supposed to stop them so that I can do the right thing. Notice in the gospel, when we repent, we don't just repent from something. We always repent to something. We don't just stop stealing. We become people who are not just thieves, but generous givers. It's the exact opposite. We repent from stealing. We repent to becoming generous givers. You can take time out and look at all that because we haven't got time this morning. And finally, the Holy Spirit helps us because he gives us gifts to help each other. You are a gift of God to me. And I, whether you like it or not, (laughs) am a gift of God to you. That's a great gift to have. Now, I, I want to confess that sometimes some of you rub me up the wrong way. And I know that I rub you up the wrong way. Sometimes. But hey, listen. God gives us gifts of each other so that actually not just rub each other the wrong way, but rub off the edges that God doesn't want there. Mr. Sandpaper comes along and he rubs off some of my impatience and grumpiness. You're a gift to God to me. Also, you're a gift to God to me because whilst I know I'm a superhero Christian, living a superhero life with everything that God's got for me, I need your input in my life because that's just not true. I need you. I need you to tell me things about myself. I need you to describe things. I need you to challenge me. I need you to encourage me. I need you to comfort me. I need you because God speaks through you in everyday life and in our meetings. And we are important to each other, but we're important to each other because we're like Jesus and full of the Holy Spirit. So, I'm going to come to an end. I I want us this morning, we're going to worship again now, but this morning I want us to really pray for each other. Okay? Not if you're a guest here and you don't want to, or you're just a member and you don't want to be prayed for, that's absolutely fine. Okay? We are not going to force anybody to do anything they don't want to do. But, I would like us to pray. First of all, if you've never been baptized in the Spirit before, I'd love us to pray for you to be full of the Holy Spirit. We're not going for a massive emotional response. The actual marks of being baptized in the Spirit are not just speaking in tongues, if that at all. But it's lots of other things. I met some fantastic Christians who are full of the Holy Spirit but don't necessarily speak in tongues. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about being full of the Spirit. Those two things are different. I'm not talking about people falling on the floor and all the things that come with that. Listen, that might happen for you. It might not. It doesn't matter. What matters is, you know, I can stand here, be prayed for the Holy Spirit, 
Nothing seemingly happened, but inside changed forever. You are not me, I'm not you. My experience of being baptized in the Spirit is not yours, and yours isn't mine. Let's not confuse each other. Let's just be full of the Holy Spirit. So if you've never been baptized before, please come and receive. Come and be filled with the Spirit. If you have been baptized in the Spirit, let's pray again. Fill me again, God, now, right now. Let's not be so proud as to think that we can live without the power of the Spirit. Let's not be people who think we've got it all together because we haven't. Let's not be people who assume that I wake up in the morning, have my breakfast, and because I've had my Weetabix, I can now follow the Holy Spirit. I can't pull submarines out of the water without my Weetabix. Listen, listen, I can't live my life without being full of the Spirit. Let's be people who receive on a daily basis. And then, thirdly, I want us to pray for people who want to respond to Alison's word this morning about chains. Listen, if you're carrying weights, if you're carrying a weight of something, God wants to break it this morning. He wants to set you free. My chains fell off. My heart was free. I rose, went forth, and followed thee. The breaking of chains is about, not just about being free from chains, it's about standing up and walking forward. There's an action involved in it. If the musicians could come back up. I, let's just stand. I suggest if you want to be prayed for, why don't you just, there's lots of space. Either side. I'm, I'm looking...